All right. Over the last couple of weeks for our Friday episodes, we've been talking about our own top 10 list at each position. This week, we're switching it up. We're discussing someone else's top 100 players in the league. And welcome to this Friday, February 23rd edition of Side Retired. It's Dylan, it's Henry, and it's Nico. And as we just mentioned, we finished all of our top 10 lists. We thought we were done with the rankings until December. And then MLB Network decided to drop their top 100 players. And we love MLB Network. We love all of our guests from MLB Network. We don't like MLB Network's top 100 list. And we're about to get into that. But before we do... Nico, Henry, how y'all doing? I'm excited. This is going to be the ultimate test of side retired and like how good much we know baseball because when we analyze this, if we're right, we're going to look like the smartest humans alive. And if not, we're going to look like just, you know, three college guys who don't know jack about baseball. That is true. But it's a positive start. <laughs> it's a great start. Some of the topics we're obviously going to dig into their top 10 list and discuss whether we believe that they got it right or wrong. We're then going to talk about the guys that we think that they ranked too high on their list. They're then going to talk about guys that we think are going to rise on the list. We're then going to talk about the guys that were snubbed, and we're going to conclude by trying to be fortune tellers and a year from now, who are the new guys that are going to break onto the list. Let's start off at the top. And there was indeed controversy, although I think we actually agree with the controversy. Shohei Otani was down at number four. He was superseded by Aaron Judge at three, Mookie Betts was two, and Ronald Acuna Jr. was one. So just talking about that Mount Rushmore of baseball players right now, did they get the ordering right? I mean, the tough thing about Otani is that I think that no matter what he does this year, everyone's going to be looking at him like he's still a pitcher. Because again, in 2025, he will still be a pitcher. But I think you really have to understand the value of a guy not playing defense and how much that devalues him. I Again... I'm a big Poppy fan my whole life, but I don't think David Ortiz was ever a top 10 player in baseball for some reason he didn't play defense. And I think that when you're looking at a lot of guys in this list, like the Mookies of the world, like the Acunas of the world, like the Aaron Judges of the world, what the value they're able to bring defensively and they're on par with Otani offensively, it's not surprising that he's down around number four. Because again, a guy like Mookie, I know I'm getting gold glove defense around along with the comparable offensive stats. Henry, your thoughts? If Shohei Otani threw one inning off of the mound, I think it would be ridiculous to put him at four, but he's not, so I, it, it makes sense. Um, it just goes to show how incredible he is that he's still at four. Me personally, I'm putting Judge over Mookie, but that's biased, so I don't really have any problems outside of that. I think the one thing I'll mention with those four guys, obviously injury concerns for Otani. Judge, I know a lot of the injuries haven't been his fault, but there have been some that are him. So there is injury concern, to say the least, with Aaron Judge. Same with Acuna, injury history. Mookie Betts is the only baseball player that I think everyone admits is a top five player year in and year out and is going to knock on every piece of wood that we have is healthy every single season. So I really like Mookie Betts. I would have argued for him for number one, but again, you're just splitting hairs with these guys. The secondary guys in the top five, again, a lot of people probably have them in some ranging order. Freeman was at five. Corey Seager was six. Juan Soto was seven. Again, I assume 
all of these guys, when healthy, are consensus top 10 players. Yeah, I honestly, I think Soto's going to be a lot higher at the end of the year. I think that he's my pick to win MVP, and it pains me to say because he's on the Yankees right now. But I think that we've been waiting to see what Soto to finally come into his own and be that elite hitter that we expect him to be, even though he's already been that. And I think he's really going to reach that upper echelon this year. I think that we're going to see those historic numbers that we've kind of been waiting to have that MVP year. And I think just like Garrett Cole last year, we've been waiting for well, we're waiting for him to win the Cy Young. I think this is the year that we've been waiting for Soto since 2019 to win the MVP. I think he's going to win it this year. And I think that we're going to be looking back on this and be like, yep, Soto. It's going to be Soto in top three, at least I can say next year. Henry. Yeah, I mean, I think all in all, right, 11, 11 through 15, most of those guys have a fair, fair argument. But, I mean, Garrett Cole being the one pitcher is just the thing that puts a smile on my face. I love Garrett Cole. Um, and, yeah, they're just they're great players. There's sort of no wrong answer to this, in my opinion. Absolutely. So let's get into that section that Henry just started to allude to. That is the... Eight, nine, and ten players of Jordan Alvarez, Garrett Cole, and they have Julio Rodriguez at ten. Of course, that means they notably messed left out Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Jose Ramirez, Trey Turner, Corbin Carroll, Adley Rushman, and a lot of other guys that we're going to get into in a second. Fairly obvious, Cole is the number one pitcher in baseball. If you don't remember, go back two weeks from now or two weeks ago. We discussed why it's Cole and the rest when it comes to starting pitchers. The interesting debate with Jordan is the same thing we just talked about with Otani and that as a DH, does he hit more than, say, a Bryce Harper enough to put him over a guy like Harper who fields? Now, there is a report coming out of Houston that Jordan Alvarez is going to be the everyday left fielder this year. Does he provide a lot of defense out there? No. Nope. And it's going to be interesting to see that how early in games, if at all, will they pull him to put like a Jake Myers in for defense and um, then all of a sudden you have him moving to left and you lose Alvarez because he's not like the whole situation could get messy and tricky. So I don't in theory know how often he's actually going to play out there and left unless they're actually committed to we'll take the sacrifice on his defense. And we think that his offense increases by playing all nine innings every single day. But thoughts on a DH only and Jordan Alvarez basically making the top 10. I mean, I think we need to see if he's actually going to be left fielder because I think that, again, a lot of the value Jordan brings is just being an offensive bat that doesn't have to worry about fielding. I think that, actually, I don't really like that move. I think that what brings Jordan so much value is that he doesn't have to worry about defense. I think that he's kind of an eyesore in left field. I think that no one wants to see him there. I think that, weirdly, I don't think, I think he's like, only in the top 10 because he's a DH only. I think if I saw him as a left fielder, I think he's so bad defensively at left field that I would take some guys who are made better than him offense, um, defensively in the top 10, kind of like the value that we see with like Mookie up at the top. He's just, I, I think that the reason that he should be in the top 10 if he is, is because he's only a DH and all he can focus on is just having an 1,000 OPS every single year. And I think if we keep him at left, I think that again, with the wear and tear of playing left field every day, that it's, almost a, to have that consistency is just almost unfeasible. Henry. I mean, you sort of put it perfectly. Jordan does not provide much defensively. If you think Juan Soto's bad at defense, then oh boy, oh boy. Um, just watch Jordan. But no, he, he rakes, so it doesn't really matter. That is true. It's a fair statement. How about we're going from our top 
one to ten to the guys that just missed the list that we think should be on the list. And we've each prepared two guys. We're going to call these the quote-unquote 2024 snubs. Henry, how about you kick us off with the two guys that you think deserve to be on the list right now that are not on the list? Yeah, I mean, my two snubs are a little bit of a homer pick in Glaber Torres and Joe Musgrove. I know Joe Musgrove had a down year, but frankly, he was still incredibly solid. I don't think people give him much credit. He had a 305. He had a 134 ERA plus. He only put up a two war, but it's not insane to say that Joe Musgrove deserves to be a top 100 player, especially when you look at the back end of those guys. I think that he had as much of a claim as anybody and definitely should definitely deserves to to at least have a spot on the top 100, even if it wasn't terribly high. Gleyber Torres, I just sort of put on there just because he was the consistent saving grace for the Yankees. I mean, granted, a 118 OPS plus, 800 OPS, 2.9 war, like these types of things aren't, aren't what most teams were going to be like, oh, wow, that's a stud, man. That's a, that's one, that's one hell of a season from our best player. But Glaber Torres was that for the Yankees last year. He was the day in, day out best player, um, especially when Judge got hurt. And I would have given him some flowers for that. Nico. The disrespect that these lists give to relief pitchers is beyond me. I think that I would have loved to see if they did this list in like the 2000s to see how they would have disrespected Mariano Rivera and just put him at like 40 and seen people be like, oh, yeah, because he's a reliever. Yoandere needs to be on this list. I think that of the closing pitchers, I think he has the second best pitch in the game. I think Devin Williams' changeup is just absolutely filthy. But, I mean, we're talking about a guy who, when he comes in in the ninth, like, you know the game's over. The guy doesn't blow saves. The guy's had a two ERA the last couple years. I think that when, especially when comparing him to guys like Hader, who's all the way up at 60, I think that the fact that they couldn't find Yoan Durand a spot on this list, when you added guys that you're projecting a lot for, like Josh Lowe on this list, I think that when you've seen the consistency that Yoan Durand's provided over the last three years, he has to be on this list. The other guy I have is, it's a bit of a stretch, but I think that when he is healthy, I think that everyone believes that he's a top 100 player. That's Jazz Chisholm. I think that Jazz Chisholm for the last two years has really been caught by the injury bug. And I think that is a fair concern. But I think that on top of the adjustments he's had to make at center field, I think that this year he's going to be able to come into his own at that position. And I think when he's fully healthy, he's one of the most electric players in the league. The guy just rakes, he plays with swag. And I think that this year he's going to be healthy and we're going to be looking back on this list and be like, yeah, we should have known that once this guy was healthy, he's a top 100 player because he's just so electrifying on the field. I'll go with two guys that did make my top 10 list at their retrospective positions. That is Nico Horner. Had a five war for the Chicago Cubs this year. It was, I think he was the guy, maybe we used it for someone else, where we said if Carlos Correa had the numbers that Nico Horner put up, Carlos Correa would be considered the best shortstop in baseball. It's only because Nico Horner isn't a known commodity, hot commodity in the baseball world that people disrespect him. He was somehow left off this list despite being arguably one of the best, if not the best, second baseman not named Mookie Betts in 2023. So I think he at least deserved to sneak on, especially considering, and we'll get to some of these names, that they fit in that 96, 97, 98, 99, and 100 range. I think you could have thrown Nico Horner a flower in that area. And then Marcus Stroman, who I know Henry can't wait to see on the bump for the Yankees this year. When you look at Marcus Stroman, it was a tale of two halves. In 2023, March through the All-Star break, Marcus Stroman posted a sub-3 ERA, 
His X-weighted on base was 257, which means that he was pitching at an astounding rate and no one was making contact with him. Then flash forward to the second half. He was injured and he missed a lot of it. He pitched in 24 innings and had a 9 ERA, which bloated up his ERA for the season to around a 4. Marcus Stroman in the first half was an all-star. He was really good. He was easily going to opt out of his Cubs deal and make bank this offseason. It's just because an injury slowed him down. So again, both of my guys, unlike where Nico, I think, has a strong argument for John Duran to be relatively high on this list, I'm just looking for these two guys who at least have made the conversation, whether that's somewhere in the 90s or if you wanted to argue for them at a little point higher. I just think guys like Horner, Stroman, deserve some credit for what they did during the 2023 season. But we're going to project a little bit as well. There's some people on this list that were indeed ranked, and they got some flowers from MLB Network, but we think they deserve to be a lot higher. So we're going to characterize these guys as the risers, and each of us have prepared three of them. Nico, if you want to get us started. Yeah, I'm going to start with the first guy. I think that the last two years have been rough for him, but I think that... He was at the top of this list for the last couple of years. And then once he got hurt in his steroids, he really got pub- plummeted in the pr- public eye. Tatis is going to have a big year this year. I think that this is going to be the year where everything that we expected from him that he was showing before his injuries and before his PEDs is going to come back. I think that no one denies his talent. I think the only question has been his maturity. And I think that we saw glimpses of it this year where him and Wright, he kind of was able to figure it out and really show that like, yeah, I'm not a shortstop anymore, but I can still be an elite right fielder. And I think what's going to come is his offensive stats. I mean, we all know there's not a lot to say about Fernando Tatis. We know how good he was before he got hurt. And I'm basically just projecting that he's going to go back to what he was. Second guy I have, the next two are are basically homer picks. First one, Xander, bounce back year. I think that Xander Bogarts for every year except last year, he was the pillar of consistency at the shortstop position. The guy had an 800 OPS, what seemed like every single year. I believe like before last year, the last five years, he had at least an 850 OPS. And this year, again, he had a crappy year and he still had a 790 OPS. I think that him being at second base is going to help him a lot because I think that the reason he got paid for the Padres is because he's there to hit. He's there to be the pillar of consistency offensively that people are expecting. And I think that him not having to worry about defense is going to help him a lot. Third guy I have is my Red Sox pick. I got to have a Red Sox guy, Tristan Casas. I've I've talked about him a little bit, but again, what we've talked about, tale of two halves. First half was really making adjustments. The Red Sox really didn't use him correctly. They didn't let him develop. They went and they were kind of platooning him, putting him against lefties and not putting him against lefties and only putting him against righties. After the All-Star break, when they realized that they weren't in the race and Tristan Casas was able to give like free reign, he absolutely raked. He had over a 900 OPS last year in the second half. I mean, the guy hits the ball hard. I think that if you're picking a guy that you want to just have like as a sneaky, like plus 30,000 MVP pick, I think it's Tristan Casas because if he's able to develop and build off of what he did last year, I would not be surprised if he had a 950, 980 OPS because that's what he was able to show last year that he can do. I think that he's going to be the number two guy behind Devers. And I think that with Devers getting pitched around in a lineup that seems to have be Devers and a lot of other people, he's going to get a lot of opportunities to drive guys in, in that big park, get a lot of doubles to right center field. I think that he's poised to have a massive jump on this list. I like it. Henry. I mean, first off, how I mind, how is Dylan Cease 92nd on this list? 
I feel like I've been on the Dylan season didn't have that bad of a year train for a while now, but he really didn't. He was he wasn't as good as we expected last year, but he wasn't atrocious. And two years ago, he put up a, a year that rivaled the guy who won the Cy Young, Justin Verlander. I think Dylan Cease is going to have a humongous bounce back year. I think he's going to finish way higher than 92nd in the entire league. I think it was kind of ridiculous that he was put that low. My second is Cody Bellinger. I don't know where he's going to sign, but I think wherever he goes, he's going to continue his his production. That is like his, the what he showed. I I'm a full believer in what he showed in 2023. I think that he's going to be able to replicate that. Maybe even improve upon it. I would love to see Cody Bellinger in the MVP race down the stretch in whatever league he ends up in. And then this last guy, I've got Bobby Wood Jr. I, if you t- if you told me Bobby Wood Jr. is a top ten player in baseball by the end of this year, I would not be shocked. So is it a huge jump? Maybe not. But I think that the chance that Bobby Wood Jr. could be a top ten player in baseball that he's got great potential to rise up the rankings when it comes to next year. I like it for my three. I'm going to go with one that, again, similar thought process. He's not going to gain a lot of spots, but he's going to gain important ones. And that's, I still don't get why Mike Trout's not a top five player. It seems like until Mike Trout falls off a cliff, which he did not in 2023, he deserves our respect of being one of the elite of the elite baseball players. And now you could argue he's always hurt. So are a lot of the other guys that he was ranked behind. And I think with Mike Trout putting him at number 12 and saying, yeah, the greatest baseball player of our generation isn't a top 10 baseball player, is just malpractice. And I think Trout's going to go out there in a fake contract season and that it seems like this might be the last straw with the Angels. And he said, I'm not going to request a trade, but who knows if Anthony Rendon continues to talk about how he hates baseball and every single talented Angels player leaves the team to go to the Dodgers. Maybe Trout finally says, you know what? It's time to go home. I'm going to want to go to the Phillies. I'm going to go to the Mets. I'm going to go to the Giants or wherever else he could request a trade to. Yankees, something like that. It would be Philly. I'm just trying to make conversations. Just had to throw the Mets in there. Why not? But I think this is a year that Mike Trout says, all right, this is my team again. There is no... Shohei Otani, let me just be Mike Trout and dominate and be the best baseball player. And then we're going to be in this place next year that it's going to be Otani's back pitching. Is he the number one or is prime Mike Trout the number one baseball player? And I wouldn't be stunned if that happens. Number two, it's not a homer pick. It's an obvious pick. A year ago, we were talking about Edwin Diaz being a lockdown best closer in baseball. He had ranked on MLB Network's list at number 50 a year ago. He didn't do anything wrong in 2023 that proved that he's not going to be as good. It's almost like taking a red shirt year and coming back better. So Edwin Diaz going down to 80. I just don't get what he did to lose 30 spots this year. And then I think the other guy that's going to rise is Seiya Suzuki. I think this year the Cubs finally give him a shot. He's hopefully going to play 130, 140 games this year. Their lineup's going to be a lot better. He's going to be hitting around six in their order. And I think this could be the finally be the year he puts it all together. Of course, Cubs fans are going to remember that they probably didn't make the playoffs this year because they had dropped that fly ball in Atlanta that he lost in the lights out for redemption. Say Suzuki already. They're doing a lot of promos with him and Shota Imanaga or not. Yeah. Shota Imanaga together doing promos saying the, the brothers have arrived and they're doing great stuff. And 
that's already a poster at Cubs camp. I think this is going to be the year the Cubs take over, just like I have the Royals being my AL team, the Cubs are my NL team besides the Mets. And I fully expect that in order to do so, some guys like Suzuki are going to take that next step forward. But that was a very positive spin. Let's get a little negative. There are three guys that we're going to call the two highs that each of us want to knock down a peg. So let's go reverse order this time. Nico, if you want to get us started with your three guys that you think deserve to be slash should be a lot lower on the list. Yeah. Uh, the first guy I have is I love him and it sucks that I have to put him down because he's a great guy, but uh, George Springer has no business being in the seventies. Um, the fact that he really has shown that the, he's starting to hit like the back half of his career and age is starting to pick up to him. He's had a lot of injury troubles and again, had a seven thirty OPS last year, which again, should not be anywhere near the top 100. Again, it, it's starting to seem like with him, it's kind of the beginning of the end and the end's kind of already started. And it seems like this is just going to be a very fast descent for him because again, it happens to everyone. At the end of the day, time's undefeated. So it was a great career, but it seems like Springer's on the back half. Second guy I think is too high is Sean Murphy. And I, and again, like we're splitting hairs here because I do think he's one of the top catchers in baseball, but people I think don't know how abysmal his second half was he really could not hit water if he fell off a boat. He wasn't doing anything right. He wasn't hitting for power, wasn't hitting for average. Again, the 844 PS seems like he had a lot better year than he did, but that second half was truly abysmal. And I think that hopefully he finds the adjustments because I do think he's a good ball player, but I think that if he doesn't make those adjustments, he can really drop that list very quickly. Third guy, which I don't really believe in at all, is Justin Steele. Um, it sucks because he did have two great years. He had a 3-1 in 2022 and a 3-0 in 2023. The thing that's weird about him is I don't believe in his best pitch, which his best pitch is his fastball. And in the major leagues, I think that you need to have an electric fastball. Oh, and the fact that he was in the 90th percentile for his fastball run value and he's throwing it at 91 on average, I don't think is sustainable. I think, and he has slightly above average to average stuff off of that his off speed and his breaking pitches were in like the 50th and 60th percentiles which are okay but i think again if he has to rely on his dominance being with a 92 mile an hour fastball it doesn't have any sync doesn't really have maybe a little bit of arm side run but not really too much i don't think that he's going to be able to last at 60 how high he is i think just his fastball being a 92 isn't going to be enough for me henry yeah all right i mean my first guy is is a guy who I really do like. I just don't think he's going to be able to sustain what he did last year. Yandy Diaz. I really love Yandy Diaz. He was awesome last year. I just don't think he's going to be able to put up a 330, a 158 OPS plus. That's insanity. And I just don't think that he's the 38th best player in baseball, like outside of that. So I think that he's sort of due for – do for a regression to the meat. I don't think he's going to be bad, but I think he's definitely going to fall. I think that while Framber's stats didn't end up actually looking too bad by Framber's standards, right, they looked horrible, but in reality, it wasn't that bad. I think that he's going to continue to regress just in the sense of, listen, this Houston team is changing. It's changing a lot. Um, they, they locked down Altuve, but Bregman's probably gone. I wouldn't be shocked if Framber's gone fairly soon, too. I don't think Framber will have 
the same types of seasons that we're maybe used to. And I think that his value is going to fall fairly significantly. And my last guy, he was ranked 71st. I think that maybe he won't be off the list, but I think he's going to be far lower next year. I don't think Brian Reynolds has enough of a bounce back season to warrant keeping him at this level on the, um, on the top 100. He had a 790 OPS last year. He had 263, 2.4 war. It's fine. Right, like he's he's fine, but frankly, on a team that's already struggling in Pittsburgh, I don't think that's going to do him any favors when it comes to getting any lineup protection to allow him to get some better pitches to see. I think that his somewhat struggles last year are just going to continue. Well, my three, and I promise there's no bias here, just somehow happened to work out this way. That these were the three guys that I found to be the most egregious mistakes. First off was Spencer Strider. Now, is Spencer Strider off the top 100? No. Is he probably outside the top 50? Debatable. But right now, they have Spencer Strider. You're on crack, bro. They have him as the number two starting pitcher, and they also don't have him close to any other starting pitcher. I think there's a sound and reasonable argument for Zach Wheeler to be higher. There's a sound and reasonable argument for Corbin Burns to be a lot higher. There's a sound and reasonable argument for the former... Cy Young Award winner Blake Snell to be higher. There's also a lot of other guys that we could consider. And if Marcus Stroman with his four ERA counted as sucking, then what about Spencer Strider and his four ERA? How is that possibly a, I think they put him at 17th overall player in Major League He was the unluckiest pitcher in baseball. He's not, though. He gives up a bunch of home runs. Yes, he was. He literally was. He's not the second best pitcher in baseball. I said he's the unluckiest. So, like, it explains the four year. He should have had a much lower. Well, I also don't care about luck. We care about performance. We care about results when making this list. I uh, mean, I his when you I think you can take it into account. Okay. I think I I okay. think when the I think I think when you're looking at next year, you can take a look at expected stats. When you're trying to make projections. I'd rather take, quote-unquote, lucky Zach Wheeler than unlucky Spencer Strider. That's fine. No, I'm literally just saying when you're trying to make projections, you can use Uh expected stats. And all of the expected stats that Spencer Strider should have had, like a 3-1. Okay. Well, when he has a 4 again this year, we're going to come back to this conversation. I'm going to say, look, I told you Spencer Strider isn't great. But the second guy that I have, so we don't start a Spencer Strider war, the second one is Ellie De La Cruz. Now, in the future, could Ellie De La Cruz make this list? Absolutely. We've all seen the raw talent, and that is that he hits the ball harder than anyone else. He throws the ball almost harder than anybody else. He's got a crazy size for a shortstop. I believe he's a 6'5 guy. He was below league average in 2024. He had a 89 OPS plus. He hit 13 home runs and 400 at bats. He had a war under one. That's not a top 10 or top 100 player in Major League Baseball. Now, could it be in the future? Yes. But a lot of the guys, if you're going to tell me right now, Henry, don't include your bias. For next year, you can have Glaber Torres or Ellie De La Cruz. It's Glaber. I, I know what I'm getting at, Glaber. Exactly. Ellie could. If Ellie didn't have the hype around him, he probably would have sent back down to AAA last year. That's how bad it was 
throughout the majority of the season. So I can't comprehend why that guy deserves to be in the top 100 right now. He was one spot off from Matt McLean, who had a solid case to potentially win the rookie of the year. And I think that's just because Ellie had the hype name and he, yes, he had a cycle in week one and everyone thought he was God. And we thought he was the next like Shohei Otani when it comes to being the most recognizable and brand name in major league baseball. And that just wasn't the case. He was a mediocre at best major leaguer in year one. Could he be better in year two? Absolutely. But there's no reason to put him in a top 100 list right now. And then number three, not to be toxic. Ozzy Alves is not good. <laughs> Just plain and simple. There are 10 other second basemen I'd take over him. So to say that he's a 60th best baseball player in the entire league is just crazy. And I don't even want to humor why, because he's a mediocre bat who gets pitched around, or sorry, not pitched around. All the people want to face Ozzy Alves. You want to face Austin Riley? No. You want to face in the time Freddie Freeman? No. You want to face Matt Olson? How about Ronald Acuna? Even Michael Harris? No. You pick on little Ozzy Alves in that lineup. And you know what I'm I'd rather face Ozuna than him. I'd rather face him than Ozuna. I don't think so. You're right. You're right. I'd rather face Ozzy Alves than Marcelo Ozuna. Ozzy Alves is not a good hitter. And I'm sorry if defense carries you all the way to 60, then where's Kevin Kiermaier? But. Ozzy Alves hits a little bit more than Kevin Kiermaier before the comment section comes and kills us for that comment. But Ozzy Alves is not a premier upper echelon type player that everyone makes him out to be. And now here comes Braves Nation. It's going to chop me to death. But moving on to our final segment of the day, we're going to break out the crystal balls. And when this podcast is thriving and doing well a year from today, and we're breaking down the 2025 list, who are going to be the new names that entered. And we realize that these guys, based on their 2023 performance, don't deserve to be here. But we're going to predict that they will based on their 24. So we're going to call them the new entrants, and each of our guys have rounded this off by preparing two names that they'd like to add as a quote-unquote new entrant. So Nico, you're edging on your seat to get going with these two. Yeah, the first guy, I think that was a very fringe top 100 guy. I definitely think he was probably in the conversation, but I think his second half with his injuries really took him out of the top 100. It's Josh Jung. Josh Jung was the starting third baseman for the AL team this year, and I think people really forget that because the injuries really got to him. He tried to play through it. He was coming back from it. It really showed that he wasn't at 100% in September and October in the playoffs, even though they won the World Series. I think that Josh Jung at full health is definitely going to be a one top 100 player next year i think that he has the stuff he showed it in the first half i mean that's why he started the guy was on track to be maybe be gunner henderson for rookie of the year and really those injuries got to him and i think that next year i'm fully healthy he's definitely going to be in that 100 the next one it pains me to say because i'm going to have to give henry some credit and talk about a yankee but i really think that the yankees success is dependent on carlos rodon i think that of all the guys that right now that I want to be the number two, I think that the guy who should be the number two and really step out is Carlos Rodon. I think that the Yankees pitching success is really going to depend on that because you know what you're getting out of Garrett Cole. But the rest of that starting pitching staff has a lot of question marks with injuries and, uh, and again, second half performances. I think Rodon, when healthy, is one of the top 10 starting pitchers in baseball. I think that the big thing 
is his health. And he really showed that he wasn't able to come back from his injury well last year. But I think if he, again, is also at 100% and he is the Rodon of the White Sox that we expect, I think he's going to fit great with the Yankees. I think that he has the the balls to just be there and be a guy. I think that he doesn't care about the media. I think that he's just going to go out and be a baller because I think that's what he is when he's healthy. So again, if Carlos Rodon can show that he'd be healthy, I think he's going to be a, the solid number two. And I think he's definitely going to be in the top 100 list next year. Henry. Yeah, I mean, if if April for Carlos Rodon is is anything above average, his jersey's coming to my to my house in the mail. Like I'm so I'm so ready to drink the Carlos Rodon fluid. Um, I think we're gonna I, know. I think we're gonna know by end of April, early May, what we're getting. Yeah, yeah. My take is either gonna look really good on May fifth or, or really bad on May fifth. Or it'll rival the Ellsbury contract. Um yeah. I, we can keep it in the Bronx for a little bit. Um, Anthony Volpe, I really do believe that Anthony Volpe, frankly, if he has another 20 home run season, he will not be on this list. I don't want him to have another 20 home run season. Put the ball in play, put the ball on the ground, and just run. Run those bases. I want him to have at least 40 stolen bases, and I think that's beyond possible. He's just sort of stopped halfway through the season. I feel like I've said all of this before. I'm really high on Anthony Volpe as long as the on-base percentage gets kicked up a little bit. And I think that that if he if he's able to build on what he did in his first year, which was good, right? Like, it wasn't incredible, but it was good. He won the gold glove. He played solid defense. He, he, he was fine. If he can build on that, then I don't see a reason why he can't be a top 100 player. And my second guy, very small sample size, all in all, really showed out in the playoffs. Brandon Fott, I really, I just love the way the guy pitches. I know that he struggled at points towards the back end of last year. And going into the playoffs, people were very unsure about his his ability to perform. He sort of silenced those doubters in the playoffs, and I think he's going to be able to carry that into next year. I like it. So since you guys both went with a pitcher and a hitter, I'm going to adjust mine on the fly here. And I will also say for our listeners saying, oh, Jackson Holiday, Paul Skeens, we as a group decided that would be the cop-out answer. Jackson Churio fits in that as well. So we went with no prospects, which is why I'm also going to dump Jung-Hoo Lee from my two as well. He was going to be my second guy, but I'm going to say that he fits in that category as well of maybe he's a good rookie year and he's on the list and MLB Network just counted Yoshinobu Yamamoto as a separate entity which makes sense because i think if you didn't have him on the top 100 people would have gotten upset so for my two one's francisco alvarez because if you're a catcher and you're hitting 25 to 30 home runs a year and you're somewhat consistent because i think his biggest flaw was in his 25 homer season he'd have a month of a 900 ops and then he'd have a month of a 700 and then he'd have a 920 and then he'd have a 680 if we can just have a solid season of an 800 OPS with 25 bombs and he's healthy and his defensive metrics also weren't awful this year, I think he easily ranks inside the top six catchers in baseball if that happens, if not farther, because that's starting to sound like a young little Mike Piazza in the makings of a massive power hitter. And now, is he a future Hall of Famer? Probably not. Jesus Christ. But when you think about it, a massive power hitting catcher is pretty rare. And the last that constantly hit 30 to 40 home runs was Salvador Perez. Now, people hated on Sal Perez, 
But you have to be honest, every single year he was in these top 100 lists and was at every single All-Star game. So if Francisco Alvarez can do that and be this generation's Salvador Perez, maybe that's more realistic than this generation's Mike Piazza, that's still a top 100 baseball player. And we've seen flashes of it already, if not seen flashes of even more dominance as a former number one prospect in baseball. I don't know. I think Alvarez can easily get there, and that's not just a Met bias. The second one, I'm surprised Nico didn't take this one. And that's a starting pitcher going down to 305. Yuri Perez is going to be on this list a year from now. I think the sample size is really low, but the fastball is electric. The Marlins have said, taking the gloves off, he's going to be our number one, number two. Sandy's out for the year. Someone's going to have to take the mantelpiece of who's going to be the ace of the Marlins. There's rumors about Jesus Azardo being traded to the Orioles. There's rumors about Edward Cabrera being traded to the Pittsburgh Pirates. The one guy that the Marlins have said off the table we're not discussing him is Yuri Perez. And the Marlins trade everybody. They traded Stanton. They traded Miggy. Everyone that has success with the Miami Marlins gets traded. So the fact that they're saying this young, good player isn't going anywhere means that even the Marlins have realized that he's a special talent, once-in-a-generation ace. They've been looking for that since Jose Fernandez left. I think Yuri Perez is going to be that stud, that ace, that's going to lead the Marlins to a fifth-place finish. But he's oh. <laughs> it's not going to be his fault, though. Uh, but yeah, I think Yuri Perez is going to be a top 100 baseball player i really wanted to fit him in my top 10 starting pitchers when we did that two weeks ago but i think i we was dying to too. yeah i was i had my top 10 done and like for people who don't know the behind the scenes we have like a google doc of our list don't want to don't want to reveal the secrets too much but i had my top 10 i had like two spaces below and then i just had yuri perez there just staring at him begging to be, get put on my top 10 so i love this pick and I don't fault like MLB for not having him on there right now. This is fully the looking at the hype and buying into that he could be a great player next year. So that is a wrap. Thanks to MLB Network for providing some great content for today's episode. We love you. Would love to have someone on the podcast to discuss how this list gets formulated because I know we see Brian Kenny in the shredder every week on MLB Network. And then all of a sudden this list doesn't match up with what the shredder spit out a week ago. So Wonder how this all gets formulated, but we will be back next week. We have a slew of great interviews spanning a lot of different dimensions of the college baseball realm as we look to dig into that with opening weekend for a lot of teams being last week and this week. So a lot of college baseball talk from people inside the industry, but for Dylan, Nico, and Henry, unless there's anything else anyone else wants to throw in. Good to go, bro. Check out Let's our hope week. Huh? Let's hope I'm right. Let's hope I'm right. Absolutely. And I will also shout out for people that only check in on the podcast once in a while. It is worth it to go back and check out one of our interviews from this week. We really appreciate looking back on that interview, Nico. Tom Vanderman was nice with us. It was very candid, very honest, open about a lot of stuff that he probably has not talked a lot about since it all occurred. And uh, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this episode right now, I know this is the first time that we're sort of getting to retrospectively talk about what we did on that episode it was it was eye-opening and refreshing to see that sort of take because it's rare that we get the we uh we have a lot of fun on this show to say the least and 
it was interesting to sort of take a backseat and let someone else drive the show for an episode. Yeah, I think that of all the episodes we've done, I think that it's probably the most like journalism we've done where like it's not as much of, hey, we're going to talk about this guy and really fluff him up and really just talk about like good parts of his career. Maybe if a guy got hurt, he talks about his injury. This was for a lot of it. It was really just delving deep into like how he's like dealt with the whole controversy that's come around him. And I think that if you're looking for something that's a little bit different, that's not usually the the high energy that we bring and something more serious, I think that this is definitely going to gravitate towards you. It's definitely one of the proudest interviews I've had because I think that looking back on the interview, it's definitely something that I'll see as significant. And I'll say for people who are wondering, oh, what did you talk about? We did. We flat out asked, talked to us about the incident. And I'll be honest, he gave a very thought out, well-spoken, I believe we timed it afterwards, 12 plus minute answer on the subject. So I don't think that we had him on and didn't discuss it. We realized that you as our listeners probably wanted, once you heard we were having him on, that's probably the thing you wanted to hear about. And he does talk about it. So on a weird way to end the week on side retired here, we're going to have a great episode. That's all folks. That's all folks. <laughs> Pretty much. We'll be back having a laugh. And for Dylan, Nico and Henry, the side is retired. <laughs>